Welcome to the Beautiful Illusions Podcast, where two friends, Jeff and Darren, ponder the intersection of reality, consciousness, and culture. These conversations comprise an ongoing attempt to construct meaning by exploring art and science, enriching our understanding of the context underpinning our current moment in time, and imagining possible futures for human civilization. Of course, we don't claim any special knowledge, expertise, or insight into any of these topics. We just enjoy learning, thinking, and talking about big ideas, deep questions, and the beautiful illusion that is the subjective human experience. In today's episode, The Church of Music, Jeff and I explore his long-simmering idea to create a secular church around the performance of music. Jeff talks about the original inspiration for his idea, we discuss the origins of music and its role in human culture, our own histories with music, why music specifically might work as a centering activity, the modern commodification of music and separation into performers and consumers, what a church of music might look like and how it might function, the potential benefits of creating a purposeful community around creation, and we even sing a little bit. As always, a complete set of show notes with links to almost everything we discuss or reference can be found on our website, beautifulillusions.org. And now for today's episode, The Church of Music. Recording this on uh, Saturday, March 5th, and our March episode comes out tomorrow, Sunday, March 6th, except we recorded it back in January. And we talked about it being January. And we talked about it being January. (laughs) So probably what we should do moving forward. We should pretend that it's uh, March, April, May. I don't think we necessarily need to pretend anything, but if it's not important, the time of the year to the content of the episode, it'll probably be less confusing. I mean, it, it made sense when we talked about it because we recorded in January, but if you listen to it in March and we're saying Happy New Year, it's kind of funny. But I mean, that's when we recorded it. I guess that's what happens when you record two months in advance. We do not have to talk about the time period for this episode. It no. does not matter what time period of year it is. No. We're going to talk about an idea I've been throwing around for a while now, apparently 10 years when I think about it, unfortunately, remembering when it started. So we're going to start off on a depressing note that's going to lead to a hopefully optimistic idea about what we could do to make our world a happier place in some way, shape, or form. So 10 years ago, uh, the Newtown shootings happened. I unfortunately had a connection, and I went to one of the funerals, and it was awful. I was in the church. I'm not used to being in churches. I grew up without a religion, really. My parents were split, so they decided to let me decide. You know, I've been to a couple. I've been to weddings. I've been to a couple funerals, but this was obviously the worst because it was a child. And I don't remember exactly, but I have a couple of visual images from it, and the seeing the small coffin is the most awful image. But I remember at some point during that, when it was coming down the aisle of the church, I remember uh, the um, organ kicking in, and Ave Maria was starting to play. And I was at the church with my old assistant principal, and he started singing Ave Maria, or he was maybe even just humming. And I saw him rocking back and forth, and I was looking around. And as a person who grew up always questioning the idea of the church and why are we brainwashed, why does everybody have to think the same way, I looked around that whole church, and it was still a very somber moment, but it was like 
there was a collective grieving that was happening through that music. And I could feel like this all sounds romantic to some extent, but uh, I could feel the vibrations in the church. And it made that somberness because it was shared. Like we all took a piece of it. So it spread out more so than anybody just having their own solitude of somberness. It was a spread moment of somberness. So it made it just a little bit easier. Um, Collective grievance, maybe is what you might call it. And it started making me think about how this church concept maybe has something behind it. I don't agree with some of the beliefs of that church, but maybe there's a different way we could go with this. And that's when I came up with the church of music that I keep talking about and we're going to dive into today. Yeah, that's a really interesting story. And it's the moment when the music was happening that you really experienced, at least in your memory, this profound realization that you hadn't had before? Yes. And we've talked before about how music, particularly, sometimes music itself will make me experience affect. I always get confused a little bit between concepts like affect, feelings, emotion, like what are the particular differences? But I I feel a swell of something within me. And I think I experience it as a feeling, which I then create an emotion. I say I'm, I'm feeling thoughtful or I'm feeling sad because of that. But a lot of times I just experience it as something like a physical feeling, which usually causes my eyes to get teary. And it's always related to music. And, I, you know, I was raised Catholic. And, you know, so I've had the experience of being in church many times and hearing hymns being sung and, and that kind of stuff. And I don't ever remember having like any deep connection to it, but I have felt something at concerts. I I love going to concerts. We both love music. We've been to many concerts together. And I've had many moments where I've had this feeling where I'm around all these other people. And in these moments where you all know the song or you're singing along and you just have this very positive affect, right? The energy is high. But then I've also had times where it's maybe a song that's a little bit more melancholy or slower or something. And I've had these extremely deep contemplative moments where I'm feeling the music and I'm thinking. And so I'm wondering for you particularly, if we take this church concept, because when you say church, that's something very specific. It's going to conjure faith and worship and congregation and gathering together. But then music is like this other thing, which if I had to imagine, probably pre-exists any organized religion in terms of cultural history. I haven't done any research into this, but I would imagine music goes back pretty deep. So music goes back at least 60,000 years because I have done some research on this. There's bone flutes from 60,000 years ago. Uh, and there's the assumption that music goes back further than that because outside of a bone flute, like a drum, maybe one of the easiest instruments to create is probably made of an animal skin. So it's not going to last for 60,000 years. But there's evidence of music at least 60,000 years ago plus. And initially, this is kind of a naive idea, I'll be honest. I just have this like church of music and we're all going to get together to play music and everybody's just going to be happy. Almost like a drum circle where everybody's just around playing some kind of bongo and getting into it, which is also kind of cool. But I've been thinking more about it, and I did a little bit of research to prepare for this. Two of the books we've already used multiple times, Jonathan Haidt's The Righteous Mind, has a lot in this vein that helps think about, oh, maybe this church of music, it's a secular church, has some validity as a new enlightenment institution. And that's what I think we're going to explore today. And then Joseph Hendricks, The Secret of Our Success, which I've mentioned multiple times again, uh, adds validity to this concept. And then I specifically read Daniel Levitin's This Is Your Brain on Music. So 
you and I have, and I think many people have this feeling that music has some kind of special power to make us feel a certain way. And I wanted to read that book specifically to see if there was science behind this idea of how music affects our brain and what happens to our brain when we listen to music. And ultimately, yeah, what you were talking about in the concert of everybody coming together and singing this song, that's one of the powers of music. And I don't know, it's, it would be very hard to say which came first, the music or the ritual. Henrik would say they go hand in hand almost. So ritual, maybe some kind of early religion and music go hand in hand. Levitin even argues that music maybe came before language. We have no evidence of language back then, but we have the bone flute. So music was there 60,000 years ago. There's, you can't prove that language was there yet. Right. If you think about what do you need to create music, it's basically rhythm. So you can bang anything on anything and suddenly you're making rhythm. And then a lot of times people respond to rhythm in terms of wanting to move their body. You know, dancing would be then related to that. And then you don't need to sing words. You could just make noises and noises would have different pitches. And then you can start to have things like melodies and harmonies and, and all kinds of things. And there is something about music, at least to me, that is different from a lot of our other cultural products that we produce in terms of what we think of as art now, today. For example, paintings are awesome, right? You could go to a museum and look at paintings. You could watch a play, and but you don't necessarily take those with you in the same way that you take music. Like you might just be walking through your day and you could hum a few bars of like any song that you know or whistle a tune or, you know, it, it stays with you in a way I feel like that a lot of other things don't and it's not like I can't think about the play that I saw and I can't think about the movie or repeat the line but there's just something about the music where it, it'll come to you in these moments when you're not even it, it rises up out of your unconscious these words and these lyrics and these melodies and these rhythms and they're all in there and they like get in there and they stay in there and I do know some people who just have told me, like, I'm really not a music fan, but I don't know that many. Most people, there's something they like. And if you remember when you were a little kid, it seemed like singing and, and music was a much bigger part of being a kid. And, and I don't know if that's tied into the idea of you're not as self-conscious or, you know, you're, you're singing in music class in school or whatever it is. I'm curious, why do you think that if we're going to organize this church, right, around the concept of music, is it more the idea of musical performance or the idea of listening to like what why do you think music would allow us to to congregate in that way in my readings a lot of what is said about music's benefits is the idea of bringing people together so even when you talk about it like a painting isn't necessarily as shared an experience as a music can be uh a play is more of a shared experience but it's also a shared silent experience music is a shared experience where Everybody gets involved in the moment. Uh, even when you have a performer standing on stage, everybody's going to be singing, everybody's going to be dancing. And then if you look at some of the research on what happens when people are doing these motions together, because initially I'm starting to think when I read Levitin, I was like, all right, I'm going to find a bunch of stuff about how the individual is affected by music. And what I found myself bumping into more and more is about how groups are affected by music and how it brings people together in certain ways. And uh, Levitin talks specifically about musical performances, which leads right into what you started talking about. Musical performances, this is Levitin. Musical performances also have a large social component based on our knowledge of the singer or musician, on our knowledge of what our family and friends like, and knowledge of what the music stands for. Historically, and particularly evolutionarily, 
Music has been involved with social activities. This may explain why the most common form of musical expression, from Psalms to David to Tim Pan Alley to contemporary music, is the love song, and why for most of us, love songs seem to be among our favorite things. Because we've already talked about this when we did the Desert Island playlist. Music has always been a social thing for you. Music has introduced you to new people, and music is this larger social gathering. And then we've mentioned this before, and I know you like this idea. Height talks about it too, the idea of collective effervescence, the feeling you get when you're with all these people and you get into this more almost transcendental moment. Yeah, my friend, well, my friend Al, you know him. I, I could say our friend. He always talks about the whole idea of these concerts as this shared experience, this community that comes together for this brief period of time. And if you think about going to a concert, there is a lot of ritual involved. People have the things that they do. You know, you go in, you sit in this seat and you have these kinds of conversations and you make the plans and, and maybe you even see people when you go to shows that you don't normally see. It's like, these are the people I go to these concerts with. And I think it's similar when you're like at even like a sporting event or anything really where people are gathered around a thing that they have in common is that suddenly you have this bond even though it's tenuous and temporary, with pretty much complete strangers where somebody might turn to you and start having a conversation with you. And it's not weird or anything like the way you think it might be, like if you're just walking down the street and somebody just started talking to you. And so I'm thinking this idea of gathering around a thing is going to promote Social lubricant, right? You know, except without alcohol, it's just, or there could be alcohol. I, I don't know. I have a question though. I think we get the music part why music might be a cool thing to gather around, but the church piece of it. Why church of music? Why bring the concept of church into it at all? In a lot of the reading I've done around this concept, what you'll find, and then we'll dig in more to this when we get into what the structure of our church might actually look like, what you find is that something like this doesn't necessarily gain footing unless there are rituals around it. And this is where my mind experiences some cognitive dissonance because I think that's one of the things I've always rejected about the concept of church is the rules and rituals, and I didn't quite understand the point of them. But uh, as I keep reading more and more about culture and how immersive it is and how much it takes over part of who you are, Henrik and Height both say that there needs to be some level of rules and rituals. Height even quotes a guy saying that to a certain extent, if you want this institution to really have any kind of effect, it needs to be sacralized in some way, shape, or form. So for Henrik, it'll be social norms. We are so driven to fit social norms and so driven to gossip about people who don't fit social norms, which is so contrary because I don't want the church to be like getting together and gossiping. I don't want that to be it, but it's one of those biologically programmed aspects of us. So Henrik talks a lot about prestige, and that's a big thing. There's people with prestige, and we follow those people with prestige, and they help form social norms. Height and Henrik both also say it's borderline impossible to structure an institution. All of them come about through a natural process, and we often have no idea why they come about. So like, it's like more bottom-up than top-down? Like yes. It just kind of emerges? <laughs> yes. Yes, they're all emergent. And you need to create essentially an institution that's top down, but then let go of and then builds bottom up. You understand what I mean? Yeah, that? I, so I do. I consciously have this idea of a church of music, but I can't create it through rational, logical idea of step-by-step -step process. And then so a certain point, the rules and rituals that come about are 
I'm not going to, or whoever, again, I don't even want a person to be in charge. We're not going to be able to control it. It should just naturally create its own social norms. And there's the minimal list of what types of rules you're going to have. So it sounds like we're going kind of towards where we're going to get to eventually, which is what does it actually look like? You know, how do we build this thing? What might it be? But before we go there, the last thing that I'm curious about is what need do you feel like this is even meeting at all? Is it like a personal need for you? Do you see people needing this for some reason? There's plenty of people who are already involved in religion, although I think that religious participation has been on the decline, at least in the United States. There's like more people now that define themselves as atheists than maybe possibly any single one religion in the, or something like that. I read a stat like that. I could be completely wrong, but I know that more and more secular life is taking the place of religious life. And I know that community organizations of all kinds have been shrinking. And while there's so many cool things that the internet and computers have provided us, I think one thing is that we've been able to move kind of into our own individual spheres and preferences more and more and more and find people like us and connect with them digitally or not necessarily gathering in the same place together in in physical space. So I'm curious, do you see something like this filling some kind of need for you personally or for wider society? I'm going to talk wider society first, but then I think there's a lot of other individual stuff that I could discuss about why I like this idea. So Henrik says that groups of individuals who engage in social interactions and learn from each other using cues like success and prestige often end up sharing similar behaviors, strategies, expectations, or preferences, and deviations from these shared standards are penalized or sanctioned in some way. So that's a good synopsis of kind of what I was saying before about rules and everything. And then he also quotes Larna Marshall. And she says, whatever their relationship, whatever their state of their feelings, whether they like or dislike each other, whether they are on good terms or bad terms with each other, they become a unit singing, clapping, moving together in an extraordinary unison of stamping feet and clapping hands swept along by the music. And she's talking about communal rituals in that case. So for me, and I've been dropping this for a while and we keep uh, reference, I got to read this bowling alone eventually. <laughs> Robert Putnam, is that the author's name? I, I don't even know. And then Sherry Turkle, right, was just on Mindscape. And she was referencing how civic institutions are in the decline and are disappearing. And I think at the end of last episode, I mentioned the idea of just being close to each other, proximity to each other and the benefits of proximity. Uh, And there's so much about how this benefit of listening to music in proximity through ritual uh, and dance being involved in some way, shape or form, what it essentially does, it kind of removes yourself for a second and makes you more connected to the person next to you. Height has a quotation where he talks about a man, Tony Sai, who ended up making a lot of money. And then he just kind of dropped out of whatever business he was involved in. And he started going to raves. <laughs> Tony Shai was an entrepreneur and venture capitalist who, among other things, in 1999 helped launch and was eventually CEO of Zappos, the pioneering online shoe retailer, which was purchased by Amazon in 2009 for $1.2 billion. According to multiple sources, Shai was known for taking extreme challenges regarding his body and spoke often about partying as a central feature of his work and life. Shai died under somewhat mysterious circumstances in November 2020 in a house fire, and although the medical examiner determined that Shai died from smoke inhalation and ruled his death was an accident, sources have suggested that drug use and nitrous oxide use may have played a role in the incident. 
For more on Tony Shai's interesting life and tragic death, see the links in the show notes. Height quotes this man, Tony Sai, says, I was surprised to find myself swept with an overwhelming sense of spirituality, not in the religious sense, but a sense of deep connection with everyone who is there as well as the rest of the universe. Here, there was no sense of self-consciousness. It was one united tribe of thousands of people, as if the existence of individual consciousness had disappeared and been replaced by a single unifying group consciousness. So I don't think we have enough of this in our modern world. I agree with Turkle. I think our civic institutions are no longer attended, are no longer uh, fully a part of our world. I think the online institutions are interesting, but I don't think, I think there's something very scientific about being close to another person. Like you could read about mirror neurons. You could read about other types of things that you feel when you're near somebody. And I think music is the natural center because it's been around for, it's been used in this way as those quotations just showed for thousands and thousands of years. And I love music, (laughs) which, I mean, and I'll I'll talk about my own personal journey through this idea uh, as we get through the episode. But um, that's like some of the backbone of why I think this is something we might want to explore. Yeah, I obviously was leading you a little bit there, but I, I know what you already think because we've had this conversation, but I did want to get it on the record here. And I, I kind of think the same thing. And what's funny for me, though, is when I think about it personally, I'm like, this is a great idea. And then I think, well, would I actually want to do it? And then that's like a different thing, right? Because you start thinking about, well, It's easy to say, let's get together with people we already know and start doing this thing. But then, you know, do we get together with people we don't know? Do we invite other people? Do you put out an ad? You know, and this is getting more to the, you know, how would we actually build this thing and what would we do? Um, But I, I do think that, you know, there is some need to have some connectivity. And I, and I wonder about how you can try to design a thing for a purpose and say this could give people a new way to see eye to eye, maybe when they don't agree about politics or something like that, you know, to use the most obvious divisive thing that we have probably going on today. But I don't think it would be like the kind of thing where you come together and you'd be like, well, we both are going to perform music together right now, or we're going to listen to music, or we're going to sing a song. And knowingly, we're going to define first all our identities, you know, like are all the things we identify with. But I think it's more like an outgrowth where you have these connections to other people and then you're more willing perhaps to hear what they have to say. So this prestige idea that you're talking about, I already know you're basically a good person because I'm in physical proximity to you and I know you, right? I think this is one of the things that's been so hard for people in these last couple of years where they've suddenly found themselves on opposite sides of an issue with people they've known and loved forever. And they have the dissonance of having the experience of, I know that that person is fundamentally a good person. Like I know that they want what's best for me and my family and what's best for them and their, but we really don't agree on this. And I don't know if I could be connected to them anymore. And so I think if, if you don't even have the in-person experience with them, all we have is this like online life. You don't even have that. Why would you have any connection to that other idea? Why would you listen to some disembodied voice that's coming from who knows where in order to hear the other side? It's either The hope is that we can get this from the people in our local community that we can actually be in proximity with, or or there's probably no chance that we're going to bridge some of these gaps at all. What's interesting 
and I think I mentioned this last episode, a lot of the reasons we're around other people nowadays, like it's a family gathering is kind of what you're alluding to. And in the family gathering, what there is is there's just conversation, which isn't a bad thing, but that's all there is. It's the stereotype. You know, we gather at Thanksgiving and we argue with each other and everybody. And then there's my uncle who likes this guy. And then there's this guy. You know, it's the stereotype. And this is what I've been moving towards. I think one time we even talked about a barn raising, a good old fashioned barn raising. And I'll kind of get to that at the end of the episode because I think there's, I don't think it has to be the church of music. It could be, be other things. But I think because it's the church of music, music becomes the focus. So it's an area where you're near somebody else where you don't have to converse with them. And I think that's highly beneficial. The assumption that you have to talk about politics in these days is weird. And my childhood, my dad never talked about. So my dad bonded with the people around him through golf. Yeah. And then my dad would go golfing and have a little mini tournament. And they'd go back to my parents' house. And my parents had a jukebox. So maybe the church of music was in my childhood. Yeah. And they would play music on this jukebox. And everybody would... Drinking was involved, definitely, in that one. But everybody would dance, and nobody was talking about, like, which presidential candidate they were going to vote for. They were just bonding. Height uh, has this great quotation about just the idea of muscular bonding, or the idea of being around each other. Moving together in time, this is Height at this point, was a mechanism that evolved long before the beginning of recorded history for shutting down the self and creating a temporary superorganism. Muscular bonding enabled people to forget themselves trust each other, and function as a unit. There's a funny little parenthetical on this. And then crush less cohesive groups, because this is that (laughs) gene culture co-evolution that we talked about last time that Henrik talks about. So it's tribalism, essentially. The conflicts between the groups makes you more and more want to be part of the group. But then I want to build this church where we don't have to think too much about that. All right. So the purpose of the music is to give the reason of gathering that isn't about discussion in any way, shape, or form. It's about listening to and playing music. And then I think we could get into the actual structure because my naive original idea is that, well, we just get together and we play music. And what I initially really wanted was I wanted it to be a place where everybody plays. So there already is a church of music, I guess. You just bought fish tickets for us today. We're going to go see fish, but we're paying $100 to go to a venue to bow down to. And it's awesome. I love fish. (laughs) I will willingly bow down to them once a year. That's all I need when I'm 44 years old. But I don't want there to be that much of a hierarchy. I don't want it to be prestige of bowing down to the person who's very good at music. I want it to be more of a spread feeling of anybody can play music. Yeah, I've been thinking about that idea actually a lot lately. And I consider myself to be an amateur musician, right? Amateur because I don't do it professionally. I don't make money. But I've been playing the guitar now for over 20 years. And, you know, I can learn songs and I can sing them. (laughs) I could conceivably stand in front of a group of people and do that for an hour or two. No problem. So... This whole concept of, I think of it as the democratization of music, we happen to exist in a time where music has become commodified in a way that I don't think it ever was in the history of people, right? It used to be at some point in time that if you heard music, you heard it because people around you were playing it or someone came and sang a song or or you went to a musical performance at some place that was local. Like there was no recorded music for you to listen to. Right. And there was no way for me to say, that's my song that I wrote. 
and I'm the person who can make money from it and I'm the only one who can perform it. So I have this romantic vision in my mind of at some point, let's say it's like, you know, 1920 and there's just a group of people and they gather with their guitars on the porch of some farm or something like that. And, and that's like their entertainment. And then maybe somebody comes to town and knows a different song and you learn that one from that person. And I know a lot about the history of rock and roll and blues and how it came out of all these other American forms of music. And pretty much that's all it was. It was people stealing everything from everywhere and and just taking ideas. And folk music is a really good example of where they would take these melodies and they would just rewrite words constantly and make them about, you know, this farm revolution over here or this injustice over here. And, and it, there was nothing that said no, that melody belongs to this person and no one else can use it. And only these performers have the right to, and, and these are the best versions, you know? And so I love modern music in terms of the business of music and the concerts. And I'm not trying to make my living off of it. So maybe people who are would think about it differently, but you know, I have no problem with idolizing some of these people, but I also think we need to reclaim it a little bit for ourselves and music can be a thing that we can do. And I don't have to be, you know, as good as the best people to sit here in my house with my guitar and sing some songs with my friends. And I think that that's an important concept because I, I think a lot of people, including myself, are very self-conscious about that for some reason. I, w I was thinking when you were talking, and then I'll let you go off of this, but uh, I was thinking about how I am not a dancer. Right? I do not like to dance. And actually, that's not true. I do really enjoy dancing in the very limited times when I find myself doing it, which is basically at the fish show where everyone else is doing it in the most unselfconscious way ever, where everybody kind of looks like an idiot. So no one looks like an idiot. Right. And you don't worry about it. And then I was thinking about at my own wedding and at your wedding and like at our really close friends weddings where everyone around you was your best friends and family. And we were just listening to music and all dancing and having the greatest time. I just remember having so much joy in all of those moments, singing and dancing with you guys. And I'll never forget that stuff. And how can we recapture some of that on a more regular basis? And part of that is that those are special occasions and that's why they feel special. But I think not having to go to the fish show as awesome as it is for us to have some of that feeling that collective effervescence around music would be good. Yeah, I'm going to come back to that wedding idea in a second, but I, I want to get back into the music history idea that you just hit because I don't think we recognize it as modern people who could put earbuds in their ears and listen to music 24-7. There was a time period thousands and thousands of years ago, and Levitin talks about it here, and he says only relatively recently in our own culture, 500 years ago or so, did a distinction arise that cut society in two, forming separate classes of music performers and music listeners. Throughout most of the world and for most of human history, music making was as natural an activity as breathing and walking, and everyone participated. Concert halls dedicated to the performance of music arose only in the last several centuries. The polite listening response in which music has become an entirely cerebral experience is counter to our evolutionary history. Children often show the reaction that is true to our nature. Even at classical music concerts, they sway and shout and generally participate when they feel like it. We have to train them to behave civilized. It's this whole interesting idea. And then there's a time, maybe like a couple hundred years ago, where music becomes only um, of the elite because not everybody can afford to go to these concert halls and then expands and gets into this bigger idea. So 
I've I've been slowly working on trying to play the ukulele a little bit, and I love the idea of poorly playing the ukulele around other people just to connect with them. And I, I don't know if they love it. No, they don't. They don't. It doesn't, well, they'll have to because the Church of Music. No, I'm just kidding. We will not have those types of rules. But coming back to the wedding idea is kind of a perfect transition into how we structure this. I would think that Henrik and Height would both argue that the reason the wedding has that feeling is because it's ritual and because it has certain rules around that ritual. Uh, and I think Height has that idea about it's sacralized, you know, your bonding of a person. So if we turn this into something of a church where you go monthly and do it or something like that, then maybe, I don't think everybody's going to feel like a wedding every time, but maybe there's something more of that without having to go to a fish show. Yeah, I think what it is is, as you're saying that, I think the ritual and the norms and all that, It really what it does is it provides the permission structure for you to engage in that type of behavior in an unselfconscious way, right? One of the things that's always weird to me, but I always think it's awesome, and some people hate musicals, right? I always really like musicals because I love the idea of bursting into song. And I think it's hilarious. And I think about how fun life would be if in my daily life, every once in a while, there was like a four minute vocal performance that happened. And, you know, I'm at school and in the cafeteria and all of a sudden we're singing a song about like the food isn't ready to eat yet or, or whatever is going on. And it's like just the weirdest stuff. But when you, I see it in a musical, to me, it's appealing. But I also know other people think it's the dumbest thing ever, because why would people just burst into song? And, you know, maybe that is ridiculous to think that, like, you know, you're, you're going to have this musicalness to all things everywhere. But this idea that you have this permission structure, I think what's appealing to me is in those things in the world that's created in those musicals, there's no self-consciousness at all about sudden musical performance. It's like all of a sudden everyone who's there sings and there's always the comic relief character who has like a weird little voice or says a dumb thing or falls over or whatever and everybody laughs and thinks it's funny but then they just keep singing and this idea that at the wedding... Everybody has permission to have a good time. No one's going to be like, oh, look at that person can't sing or that person can't dance. It's, everyone's going to tell the story for years. I can think of me and Sal. And every time I hear Bobby Darren beyond the sea, I think of our wedding and me and him and the band leader singing into the microphone. And I doubt anybody there is like, boy, you know, I remember that Sal and Darren really didn't. They were a little off pitch when they were singing beyond the sea. And like that idea that maybe we can capture some of that good feeling to me, that would be all I would want out of an experience like this. And I think there would be so many other downstream positive effects that you could possibly have if first people were willing to get together and somehow have this ability to do this thing together musically in enough of an unselfconscious way that it would feel good. So the social norm established at a wedding is that you are allowed to let loose. So we would have to establish a social norm at the Church of Music where you, I mean, we're not going to go buck wild like you would at a wedding. And I don't even know, I guess alcohol will be optional, but at a wedding, you know, there's an open bar. That's a part of the ritual in our modern wedding. I would say because maybe we're getting rid of, maybe civic institutions have less of a role What's becoming a social norm is just isolation a lot of the time, mm -hmm. like uh, being at home by yourself. So it's becoming more and more awkward to be around other people. And if we had more of this interaction, you know, looking at people in the eyes, even something as simple as that would be easier. Uh, interacting with other people would be easier. The wedding is also the greatest transition because I accidentally, before I even had the concept of a church of music, I think maybe... 
did my first church of music at my wedding, and it would be exactly how I would want it to go. Because again, I, I I didn't like any other past in- institutions. I rebelled against them pretty much all my life until recently, when I've started to appreciate the benefits of institutions. Uh, so I didn't want to get married in a church, and I was uh, very annoyed by the fact that every wedding venue I went to wanted me to get married on a gazebo. That blew my mind. I don't understand. Why do we get married on gazebos in this modern world, this uh, suburban world that we, uh, you and I inhabit? Um, so I was like, all right, pretty much for my parents who paid for everything, we'll have that wedding. But I was going to have a mourning ceremony, uh, and it was going to be my own thing. And I was going to organize everything. I essentially made it into a ritual uh, unconsciously, which is they they talk a lot about the idea that we talked about this. It can't be too top down. But I was like, we're going to have a morning ceremony. It's going to be at Sleeping Giant State Park outdoors, which is one of my favorite places. My wife, Beck, likes that place, too. We're going to stand around in the field at Sleeping Giant State Park. And my friends that know me are going to read poems, play songs, whatever they want to do. And in between this, Beck and I are going to share vows, which we write by ourselves. It had the potential to fail miserably because self-consciousness, because people are afraid to engage in this type of activity. Even me, at certain points, would be very afraid to engage in that type of activity. But I was in a very open phase of my life, and I was like, I'm going to do this. It's my wedding. One of our social norms is that your wedding is when you get to be the most selfish you ever get to be. And I'm going to have people do this. And it was awesome. It went off better than I could have ever planned. Uh, You came and you sang a song with my wife's sister, who I met my wife through. And uh, you sang In Spite of Ourselves. And you did a little speech beforehand. People read poems. My buddy Brandon played something by the Beatles and uh, Man and Me by Bob Dylan. My buddy Sean read this crazy story that made all the older people very confused about what was going on, but it was perfect for me. That's my very romantic image. Do we meet every month? What do we do? All right, let's start putting down the rules. We meet monthly. I think you have to have a regular meeting. Otherwise, what happens is the people that you encounter at the church, if you don't have regular meetings, they get stuck in the acquaintance category. But when you have consistent experience. I, the, the only difference between an acquaintance and a friend, this is a theory I'm proposing, is consistent experience. And yeah. if you have consistent experience with this person, then you have more shared experience that you can discuss and talk about. You have something to talk about. I agree. Yeah, I think you do need a regular meeting. You do need some structure. As cool of an idea of it would be that we're not going to have any rules. You need something because otherwise people literally just don't know what to do, right? On the most fundamental level, like where are we going to gather when and for how long, right? And, and all that kind of stuff. I was just thinking though, before we get too far away from this, about the whole thing with the wedding and the alcohol thing. And I think we use alcohol a lot in those situations to reduce our self-consciousness a little bit a lot of times. And a, a lot of times there's a lot of that good feeling we're able to have it. I know for me, having a drink or two has always enabled me to be more comfortable singing in front of people or something like that. I would propose that that is not the best way to get at that because I think there's a lot of potentially negative things that would come with that. You know, my idea would be let's be able to do this thing in a way that 
we don't need a substance to feel like I'm okay to do it, right? The substance is the fact that we're getting together for this specific purpose and everybody wants to be here. And so you might be a little nervous at first, but I'm starting to kind of visualize like, what would it be? So maybe you do have almost like open mic where people could sign up to perform. And then you have a group part of it where it's like, okay, and then this is going to happen where it's going to be the whole group together at once. And people could know in advance because- I will say this as an amateur musician, there's nothing worse than getting a couple of people together in a room and then looking at each other while everyone noodles around going, okay, what do you want to play? I don't know. What do you know? Uh, I don't know. I don't care. Do you know? No, I don't know that. So you would want to have something along those lines in order to let people do some organizing outside to bring performances in. But then also to know, oh, we're going to perform these three songs together as a group. So if you want to learn them in advance, if that makes you feel more comfortable, you want to maybe hand out some lyric sheets if we're going to sing, you know, whatever it is, right? Yeah, you've pointed out to me actually in our discussions organizing this that I've actually been trying to do other versions of the Church of Music over the last few years, ever since this concept kind of hit me. Years ago, I got together you and one of your friends that you worked with another teacher and two of my fellow teachers from the school I was at, and we played in my basement, and it was awesome, actually. It was great, and uh, we just uh, were jamming, like, and I knew no musical instrument at that point in time. I was just slamming on a drum or uh, enjoying you guys playing, and then I've organized one or two fire pits where you just sit around with four or five people, and they play a guitar, and then even thinking, too, like how my morning ceremony was organized, what I did, I had a sign-up sheet for who was going to read. So the initial fire pit, is great for four or five people. But there gets a point where it gets unwieldy or it would form into separate groups or something like that happen. So if you're going to expand on that concept, there has to be some kind of list. And then I love that you brought up the open mic night because I was just thinking that that I don't want this to be an open mic night, but it also is an open mic night. So what I don't want is, off of Levitin's quote, the point of this is not to become one of those musicians that other people listen to. You know what I mean? The point of this is not to promote yourself and say like, look, I'm good at the guitar and now I'm going to be the next person who separates myself from you, the masses who aren't quite as talented as me. The point of this is to be one of the masses. So it's not about individual talent, but it it would have to have a sign-up sheet and then it would have to have some kind of organization to it. And I think that's why that powerful word church, secular church, uh, helps because... It's not meant for any one individual to be the focus or center or the light of this. And then the natural song, of course, to end with is uh, that everybody can learn is the song that we always end our small fire pit gatherings with is The Weight by the band. That's the song you always end with, right? Everybody can learn that one. Yeah. Well, actually, I tried to learn it on the ukulele. <laughs> it was harder than I thought. Uh, if you're playing guitar, it's got some bar chords in it, which is going to be hard for your uh Yeah, your even on the ukulele, it. it has a bar chord, and I was uh, I was really struggling with that. I'm still I'm still in the very infancy of my own uh, learning. I, I think one of the things that is hard with music performance in general is that if you gather a group of people together, you are going to naturally have some people who already have some facility, and it's going to make the people who aren't as good feel like I'm not good enough, right? It's very hard to get away from that. So I think the idea that just accepting that everyone is somewhere on this path to learning and just this openness and encouragement about it, right? Um, So I think it could also be cool 
that this would be another way for people to hook up with people. And, and again, this isn't a business, right? So I'm not here to sell tickets and promote my music playing. There's plenty of other ways I can do that already existing in culture if that's what I want to do. But maybe somebody there sees like, oh, you know, you play the guitar. How did you learn to do that? And now you hook up with a couple of other people who want to learn how to do a thing. And now you're off on the side and it becomes about learning and, and just the openness and the idea that, Everybody seems like an expert almost to people who know way less about that thing. But I can definitively say that I've had people that tell me like, boy, you're really good at the guitar. And that is not what I feel like in my brain. I'm like, are you kidding me? Me good? There's a million people that play way better than I play. And I'm aware of all the things I can't do, right? And so I would want to try to at least promote the idea that everyone is somewhere on this learning curve. So this could be about music and about being part of a group and performing and just appreciating music together. But also that like when it comes to musical performance, different people are going to want to get different things out of it. So like you feel good about it regardless of the quality you're not going to drive yourself to become the best ukulele player you can and you still derive enjoyment right i know my father he plays the guitar and he just likes to sit there and strum the same couple of chords over and over again and he gets a lot of joy out of that other people they're going to pick it up and they want to get a little bit better and they want to do and so i think how do you get all these people together in a way that the people who want to get a little better at this, aren't frustrated at the people that you're just saying, well, I just want to do it this way. And, you know, I, I think you could get those little things, but if it was around this idea of openness and you still have an outlet for some of the people who want to do it this way to do it this way. And so it's not all together all of the time. You know, you have some of these smaller groups within the larger group, I think. I, I mean, I think that would naturally happen. Uh, otherwise, what would happen is you'd have clicks and you just have people like, when they're not at music church, they're like, let's get together and do this because of these people, you know what I mean? We definitely don't want that, right? Yeah, because then what you end up having is that little parenthetical uh, thing I said about uh, Heightsend where these groups come together to crush other groups. They're going to socially crush the other groups because they're going to become more popular than this group or that group if, if they start to branch off too much. So I like you're starting to put forth a structure where there's like some smaller group. We're working as teachers almost. Yeah, right. We have delivered the individual sermon at the beginning or the mini lesson, as we call it, in teaching. And then we scatter off into little groups and uh, do our thing. And then we have a whole group discussion at the end. I mean, you could even have a chosen song. You could even have different people choose the chosen song to end with. And yeah. you're like, we're all going to try to play this song together it's going to be sloppy mess but we're all going to try well, and, play. and at the very least you could if it's a song with what you can sing yes or maybe you dance oh, and while I we all singing. play that's like, what i you know did what in I mean? basement. like you don't have to play an instrument you know everyone has a voice yeah and because of part of the essence of this being physicality uh, that voice extends to movement you could have a silent voice as, yeah. as a dancer right because what you're hitting on is, coming back to prestige, how we organize prestige, what we lend prestige to in this church is something we have to organize rules around. So Henrik says that prestige can be harnessed to foster cooperation if the organization or institution is structured with an understanding of prestige. And Height says if you put individuals together in the right way such that some individuals can use their reasoning powers to disconfirm the claims of others and all individuals feel some common bond that allows them to interact civilly, you can create a group that ends up producing good reasoning as an emergent property of the social system. So what you have to do is you have to foster prestige towards openness. Our prestige is not towards musical talent. Our prestige is towards interaction with others. So the people we have who have facility have to be encouraged to 
not present that facility as something that forms hierarchy, but use that facility to encourage others and teach in little moments in time. So in those smaller group activities, the people who are the best at the guitar can have their own little group where they're like, you know, this is how you play this. And then, you know, we don't just have to have guitars. Our drums are harder to lug around, but clarinet, somebody could show yeah. how to play around on a clarinet. Uh, smaller drums, obviously, could be like bongos or something like that. Somebody will bring a didgeridoo. Somebody will. <laughs> Inevitably. I, I want somebody to roll up with... Um, a xylophone. I want somebody to lug a xylophone up. Yeah, that's still kind of amorphous. What's funny is through this whole brainstorming is there's actually a model that popped up. So you found this. There is a church of music in San Diego. And I've been kind of, uh, I don't know how much you looked at it, but I've been, I looking, look through, much. I've been looking through the website and I kind of dig it. It's an interesting concept. When you first started talking about this, so much of it to me sounded kind of like the hippie dream, you know, peace and love. And I think... The residue of that is so like there's some people in our culture that are still cool with that. But I think we've so much moved into this land of irony and cynicism that it's very hard for a lot of people to look at that and not laugh at it and be like, oh, look at these people in their dresses dancing around. And, this, and so it's not that I wouldn't want it to be that, but it's not only that. To me, it feels a little bit different because it's about connecting with each other around music and about allowing each other to appreciate music in a way that maybe music has been appreciated throughout our cultural history as humans that was lost a little bit in the last 60, 70 years because of the commodification of music and the music business, right? And this idea that there are people who are musicians and then there's all these other people. And I think most people are going to be musical in some way. And so how can we awaken that within each other and allow people to appreciate that in an unselfconscious way? My brother, Doug, is learning to play the guitar. He's been learning for probably like, I don't know, maybe maybe a month and a half, two months now. And, you know, he shares and we share back and forth. And this idea in my mind that like one day our Sunday dinners will be we won't just eat Sunday dinner We'll sit down with the guitars for an hour before we eat dinner and him and me and my dad and we can do this. And I just personally really enjoy that. And I've enjoyed it with almost anyone in my life that I've had the opportunity to do that with. And so I have no reason to believe that I wouldn't enjoy it with people I don't know yet if I just had the opportunity. So you're talking about a kinship bond, which is very natural. Inherently, you are built to bond with your brother no matter what. It's there. You want... Uh, your genes to reproduce, and he's part of your genes, so you're connected to him. So rules and rituals and ceremonies are ways to overcome uh, the kinship. Uh, or the preference for kinship bonds? Or, yes, or, yeah. yes, exactly. There are ways to overcome the preference for kinship bonds where you can develop a bond with somebody outside of your genetic makeup and have a feeling. It'll never be on par with the kinship bond, but it'll be closer to. That's how we formed bigger groups uh, back when civilization became larger and larger. And uh, the hippie dream, I'm so glad you brought that up because I was talking before about like my own individual reasoning behind why I wanted to start a church of music. And I think for a long time in my life, uh, in my mid-20s, and I, I would say that the, the, I'm not the only one to experience this phenomenon, is I, I had um, visions, of Christ visions. I wanted to be a Christ-like figure. I wanted to be somebody who helps save masses. It happens. Um, 20-year-olds want to be this type of figure. I was one of them. And I think initially the Church of Music was this idea of, all right, this is me fulfilling my uh, Christ potential to put something out there that will save us as a culture and save us as a society. You know, so it's an egotistical thing. 
but I've gotten to the point in my life where I moved away from this because there there was a point in my life where if I had had this idea and you had sent me the link you sent me to this church of music that was already formed, I would have been crushed that somebody else was doing my Christ-like vision before I had a chance to implement it. And I'll be honest, initially there was a little (laughs) disappointment, but then I started looking at this church of music and I was like, this is cool. Because to me, it's like Heights talking about with the getting rid of the self when you get into the music. You need to get rid of that drive of it being about your ego and actually consider the civic benefits that come from this. So they're in San Diego, uh, and I like this story. They have the whole story online. What happens, like during the pandemic, basically, people weren't able to get together. And California had some of the strictest rules out there. And one of the rules was that in order to gather uh, a certain number of people, you had to be a religious organization. So they decided... Let's start. Let's make ourselves into a religious organization. We're going to be the Church of Music, and we'll have DJs play. So again, it's different kinds of music. It's not necessarily our style of music. And they started gathering. It started with a smaller group, and then slowly word of mouth started spreading it, and more and more people started coming. And now they legitimately have a whole website. You could become a donating member of the Church of Music. They have a whole, and this is one of my favorite parts, they have a whole ethos of their values. They have 11 values. They're pretty awesome values. Radical inclusion, random acts of kindness, decommodification, radical self-reliance, communal effort, civic responsibility, leave no trace, alcohol and drug free. So they go alcohol and drug free, radical self-expression, take care of our bodies and radical consent. And and then you could go to the website and under each one of those, they have a little mission statement about each one. Those sound pretty good, actually. Yeah. (laughs) The one that I would slightly disagree with was the radical self-reliance one, but I can understand why they have it in there. I was breezing through this website and I was like, this is, I really dig this. Yeah. Because maybe we just start a church of music chapter in Connecticut. (laughs) Maybe we just contact them and be like, listen, Darren and I are good with the big idea, but we struggle with the little structure underneath it, the logistics underneath it. Can you, can we just steal your logistics? But the thing I would disagree with that they do that maybe I wouldn't want to do is they're against commodification, but they also charge to go. So what ends up happening, like I was talking about before, how do you differentiate the church of music from an open mic night? I think that's an important differentiation. So how do you differentiate this church of music then from a concert? At what point is it like people are just going to a monthly concert? Yeah, I don't know. I don't either. Yeah. There's so many things to think about on the structural side and so many options. And it's funny to think, like, would you even start it? You do it at somebody's house. Do you do it at a bigger place right from the start? Do you, you know, like there's just so many logistical things to think about. But I think we did kind of do a good job here laying out at least the why and the potential what, uh, at least to a degree, at least starting to explore it. I mean, I'm I'm sure this isn't something that we're just going to forget about and we'll never talk about. (laughs) We'll never talk about again. Um, There's just so much potential there, I think, for people to come together around this thing. I really like, and I was thinking about this when you were talking, the idea of losing your sense of ego when you're in that thing, even though I tend to think that we should never think of ourselves solely as the collective or never think of ourselves solely as the I, like everything, it's nuanced, right? Different scenarios require different things. And I think, you know, it's important to have some sense of who we are as individuals as that changes as we go throughout our lives, but also be able to kind of allow ourselves to become part of this larger, you know, if you want to call it a super organism or whatever, in these moments where we experience the we. And I think that for our 
idea or your idea as we talk about it is one of the things we would be emphasizing in the church of music would be the we over the me, right? Like this isn't as much about you doing anything as it is of being part of the larger thing, right? So it's not about you being the best singer or you being the, the, really what you want to do is how can you contribute? What is your piece of the whole that you can bring to this thing? But every piece, no matter whose it is, is equally important. It's like a giant jigsaw puzzle, right? And every little piece matters. And no matter how good you are, you're not more important than the person next to you. Not in this context. When you go out back to your music career, fine, get up on the stage and charge people $100 for a ticket and good for you. But when you're here at the Church of Music, the person who's never performed before is just as equally valued and just as important a contributor as the person who's been performing for 50 years. Yeah. Essentially, what's happened over the last 10 years in my thinking about this Church of Music and this episode is it's kind of what will we talk about politics? Uh, what we talk about when we talk about politics? What we talk about when we talk about politics. What we talk about when we talk about politics part four. And the... I'm we really, didn't really have a part three. We called the pizza episode. Yes. We referred to that as what we talk about when we talk about politics part three. We legitimately have a what we talk about when we talk about politics part one and a what we talk about when we talk about politics part two. Pizza episode was you referred to it as it could be part three. Yeah. Now church of music might be part four. Yeah, because <laughs> what this idea has evolved in in my head is like. Um, you know, there is this division in our world, uh, whether we rhetorically talk too much about it and make it worse or whatever. Uh, so maybe what we talk about when we talk about politics should be nothing. Maybe we should just gather around each other and be close to each other. And for me, like Church of Music has also grown. It doesn't necessarily have to be music. I focus very much on it for this episode, but I love the idea maybe just of a church of creation. Uh, unfortunately, that word has a certain connotation. Just say creativity. I <laughs> yes, I, I've changed that to Church of Creativity. And it's just the idea of getting together and building something, working on something, uh, creating something, being around other people in a way where you're forced to cooperate with them without necessarily having to engage in some type of discussion. But you're trying to make something and to me, we need new enlightenment civic institutions. I think that's my final conclusion. And I think those civic institutions have to be institutions where people are in action and moving and doing things, not just sitting around and being forced to talk to each other. And not that that's bad, but I think there needs to be more time where people are just working together, where people are silently getting something done. I think there's something amazing, a collective effervescence when you're doing it with music, but I think there's even something more amazing when you create a product and you're able to look at it and you're like, I did that with that dude and that dude and those people over there and those people over there. I think that's something that allows you to overcome the fact that you're like, but that dude, because the first thought in your head is no longer that dude voted for him and that dude voted for him and that dude thinks that we shouldn't have this. It's like me and him, we built that beautiful birdhouse together. I don't know. Um, and, and me and that guy, that guy taught me how to weld last week. Yeah. And like uh, this girl behind me, she did this amazing thing with me. We built a yeah. tree house together. I get what you're saying. Yeah. So saying. it starts with a church of music, but it's just new enlightenment, civic institutions that bring us together with physical proximity. Well, maybe we should, if we're recording this in March, 
It's 2022. Maybe we should try to make it a goal of by March of 2023, not that we've started the Church of Music, but we've at least run one proto event that could be reasonably considered Church of Music-like. I, wanna, I don't want to commit to too much, but yeah, yeah. let's commit to a small step. Even if it was literally just we're going to get our families together with maybe a few other families in the summer, and instead of just having a barbecue— it's going to be like, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, you can almost hand select at first the people that would be cool with doing a thing like this. But it's like, we're going to get together. And, yeah, it's going to be all the things you normally like about getting together. We're going to have a barbecue. You know, if you want to have a couple of drinks, you'll be able to do that. But we're also going to have this period of this where we're going to do an activity. And it's not going to be like throwing the Frisbee or anything like that. We're going to play some music together. And what do you want to do? And what do you want to, you know, anything like that. But like, to me, that could be the ground up kind of thing. If, if you did it like that and then you said, Hey, you know, that was fun. Let's do this again in two more months. And then maybe we invite this person or maybe we do that. And it, it just kind of starts that way, like a little more organically. And then after you've done that a couple of times, you have a sense of what are some of the rules and norms we need to put in around this to make it work a little bit better than maybe it is at first. Right. So I don't know. Would you be good to commit to something like that? Yeah. My, brain is already working this summer we'll have to have some kind of gathering and i would yeah i'm already thinking like i'm just gonna do like a rehashing of my morning wedding ceremony where people in your come. yard yeah we could do it in my backyard uh we could invite certain people to get us started not for exclusivity but just uh, you know these are the people that would be into this at first these are the people that are already over that self-conscious barrier that needs to be over or these are the people that we're really close to so for the wedding, they're willing to do it for you because it's your wedding. So you need the people that are willing to do it just to do it. Like that, uh, this isn't my wedding that you're coming to do it. This is, you're going to do it this first time and we're going to try it. And we can include music and because I'm an English dork, uh, I'll read a poem. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think poetry is musical, so it counts. Yeah. Right. I'm looking forward to this. I think it's going to be one of the best days of the summer. <laughs> This is, yeah, I, uh, because so we did the pizza. I had you try the Big Mac pizza and I ate your version of pizza. So I think we can make this happen. We'll have to take a look at our calendars. Well, good. I'm starting to think about who would be into this immediately and who would kind of <laughs> laugh at me when I propose it. The one requirement is they have to listen to the Church of Music episode. <laughs> so this can surpass our beer episode as the most listened to version of Beautiful Illusions. The only requirement for being in the Church of Music is listen to one episode of Beautiful Illusions about the Church of Music. All right. You know how we have to end this. No. How? We have to sing The Wait. We have to sing The Wait? All right. The whole thing? No, not the whole thing. You could fade out after three three lines. <laughs> This is the other problem with gathering and trying to sing. You yeah. have to remember what the first verse starts with. One, Take a load. Two, as, no. no, that's the chorus. Mm -hmm. right. I pulled into Nazareth. Nazareth. I was feeling about half past dead. I, I just need to find a place where I can lay my head. Hey, mister, can you tell me where a man might find a bed? He just grinned, shook my hand. No was all he said. Take a load off Fanny. Take a load for free. Take a load off Fanny. And you put the load right on me. Put the load right on me. <laughs> there you go. Now, I was only a little self-conscious. <laughs> I, I definitely missed a couple notes. <laughs> it's all okay. 
thank you for listening to Beautiful Illusions. We sincerely hope you enjoyed the conversation and more importantly, that it made you think about something in a new way. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and more importantly, share with your friends. The Beautiful Illusions theme was written, performed, and recorded by Darren Vigliotti and Joseph Vigliotti. For a complete set of show notes with links to almost everything we discuss or reference, corrections and elaborations, as well as other miscellaneous bits and pieces, please visit our website, beautifulillusions.org. 